Uh, hi, this is uh, Giselle Legacy. I'm the artist on Archimis Ramon and Mother Menage Three, actually. And uh, you're listening to Eleven O'clock Comics. Perfect. Bonjour, je suis Gisèle Agassi, je suis l'artiste sur Archie Miss Ramon et vous êtes en train d'écouter uh, 11 O'Clock Comics. <rires> I'm comfortable with this Thursday recording thing. Do you like it? I do. I do. It gives us it gives us some extra time to read what came up that week. That's the best part about it. Yeah. Because how many times did I read something that came out on a Wednesday and either one of you hadn't read it or you had read something that came out and the other two didn't read it, but I have more disposable time than you do. That is true. So I read all the books. All of them. Yes. And I, I just no book you don't read. I just, well, I read all of them from one company, <laughs> it seems. Are so. we talking? Yeah, we're going to talk Valiant tonight. I hope so. We could do that. At least maybe a couple issues or something. Yeah. Something, something. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Fun times. And it'll be a little bit more peppy and upbeat. Let's hope. Yes. As, as the, I mean, right now, this is just, we're, we're just, we just got here. And, and so we're just, we just heard the news. So we're still a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of semi, semi reeling, right? But let's, uh, we'll tell the people all about it when we get in there because this, as you already know, is 11 o'clock comics. Episode 445, Samwise, and I am Vince B. You are Vince B, and I am David A. Price. Come on, Jason. Jason. No. And I am Joseph Wilson. (laughs) No. Jason, at last minute change of, uh, unexpected change of plans, Jason cannot be here this week so david and i are gonna we're gonna try and carry the show without jason hopefully we'll be able to do it love him couldn't be helped yes and you don't even have to carry your own comics if you're a discount comic book service subscriber dcbservice.com will deliver them right to your door they employ people to do this so you don't have to you don't have to leave your house you'll get them Right to your door. And they offer the most stupendous discounts in the business. I love the ads in DC Comics where it says, discounts so low, we're not even allowed to tell you how low they are. <laughs> That's because they have literally no competition. Their their discounts are amazing. Unfortunately, the list of specials, as of my last checking, has not been posted yet. But rest assured, they will be both numerous and deep, right? Right. Plentiful and deep. And that's always the case. You get your stuff, you get them super cheap, and you get them delivered right to your door. DCBService.com. .com. I tread water when the list of specials is not up. It's uncomfortable. I like to talk about the book, and there's no book to talk about yet. 
So you got to wing it, right? You do. You do. Yeah. It's just got to got to riff. I have a surprise for you tonight. <gasps> for me? Mm-hmm. Just just for you. Drinking wine? No. Well, that would have been a really good surprise. Yeah. Unfortunately, I did not think it through that far. I am drinking alcohol, though. Yeah. This is, I don't know who brews this, but I love the can. This is brewed by, brewed and canned by Sly Fox Brewing Company in Pottstown, PA. And this thing is called McKellar. And then I guess the beer is called Better Half. And on the can, there's like a neo-primitive style drawing of a woman whose uh, one side of the face is uh, cartoony, very, like I said, very primitively drawn. She's got long blonde hair, and on the other side of her face, it's a skeleton. <laughs> so it's cool. I've never had this before, but it is damn hoppy. They should put a bunny on the can because it's that hoppy. <laughs> and uh, I'm also thinking, I, way, way, way back in the the dark recesses of the refrigerator, I found another Commodore Perry from Great Lakes Brewing Company. So that's what I'm drinking. I like it. Yeah. I dig it. I dig it. Guilt-free inebriation. <laughs> hey, what y'all drinking? I am drinking from Mato Gung Ho, their red blend from California. I um, found a bottle in the uh, in the wine rack. Realized I hadn't had it in a while, so um, figured I'd pop that bad boy open. Nice. You have thank yous. I know this. Um, yes, yes, because I, I, um, I screwed up last week and, you um, said I did, I did because you don't ever screw up as far as I'm concerned. Well, it's, it's as soon as, because the damn thing that I had, I had everything laid out next to me. And while we were doing the, in your travels, I look over to my left and I'm like, Oh crap, we didn't do any thank yous to start the show off. And, I'm like, so I have these, I've had these here for the past two hours to, to, to talk about. And I'm looking at them and then we do the in your travels and then we go off on something else. And as soon as we all hang up, I look to my left again and I let out an expletive and, and, and I explain to the guys how I screwed up. But, um, I will get to the thank yous. However, first I want to mention to everyone. That, uh, the EOC gift exchange is going on. And, um, uh, if you head over to Facebook, sign up on the Facebook mm-hmm. group and, um, and, and one of us will approve you if we haven't already. But, uh, Stephen, Stephen Wooder, our pal, has, uh, decided to run with it this year. Um, Devin. Dr. Teeth has done it in the past. Um, last year there was, uh, I guess disarray, but there was a, there was a little bit of confusion. Uh, so trying to do it a little bit more proper like. So, uh, like I said, Stephen is handling it. The, um, the, it 
head over to the Facebook group page. You'll see the, uh, you'll see the whole setup and, and, and what you need to do. But I can tell you, and my God, I, this goddamn email address, I swear to God, I guess, I guess, uh, Steo 696968 and everybody <laughs> before that was all taken because it's S T J I Y O six nine six nine six nine at yahoo.com. We'll have it in the show notes. Um, but it, it's like I said, head over to Facebook. You'll see everything you need to know. You need to send Stephen an email. Let him know um, the uh, if you're international or domestic. You've heard us talk about the gift exchange in the past. Uh, if you're a new listener, um, you can find out about the gift exchange and, and how much fun we've had with it. And, and basically, you get paired up with someone, a fellow listener, and uh, used to do it through the forum now it'll be done through email or, or facebook messenger whatever uh but yes we're we're i'm i'm stoked I'm, I'm excited that this is coming back because it's uh um it's nice to just share what you love with other listeners the deadline um we are trying to i'm trying to steven is trying to have everything handled uh all the names that 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 want to take part he's uh friday november 18th he wants is the cutoff date so this way um he can enjoy his thanksgiving but uh this way you'll be able to he, he can assemble all the names pair them up with who he needs to pair them up with and it's not like if 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 i got vince's name vince didn't get my name it's all it's all random so whoever you're gifting that person uh is gifting someone else and, and, and it's, which I think is part of the fun too. Cause I, I, I don't, I, I like the random aspect of it all. But, uh, so November 18th, since even an email before then, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it should be fun. I, I, enjoy, I've always enjoyed the gift exchange. Dr. Teeth has done a, an amazing job over the years of, of handling it and, and, uh, going above and beyond. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to, to Steven taking care of it this year and, uh, and running with it. So that was the, that was one thing I had to get out. But, um, and this is going to kind of segue my thank yous. My thank you is going to kind of segue into something I might talk about later. Might go into something that Vince and I are going to talk about, but I need to a apologize to Bean, uh, and to just, Thank him hugely for, uh, this wonderful package I received. Uh, Bean and I and Vince and a few others, we, we enjoy, um, the old magazines, the old, the old fanzines, whether it's, it's amazing. Enjoy. Comics Journal, we love them. We, we, there you go. We, we slather ourselves with them. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, comic huh. scene and, and it, it's just, it doesn't, if it, if it's about, it's the pre-internet days and it's, it's, if I can read cover to cover, um, a letters page, interviews, hero histories, character histories and, and, and just checklists and what's coming up 
in the next two weeks as far as new releases. I just, I, I love the smell, the feel, uh, yep. all the information in these old magazines and doesn't even matter if they're beat. Oh no, absolutely not. Absolutely matters not. not because it's, it's all about the information contained within. And before you get into it, I just want to say one thing. Was there anything better than the amazing heroes preview specials? Oh my God. No, dude. It was day. just, first of all, they were stupid thick. I mean, yes. you could not even roll them up nope. and, and, and try to stick them in your pocket or anything like that because there was just, they were, I don't even know how they got the staples to go through all the pages. It, it was just an insanely thick issue and, uh, they were, for the season, it was the winter, or or, or was it was, right. was it twice yearly, or was it I distinctly remember summer. I do too. Um, but yeah. I don't know if I did a spring, so it may have been a summer and a winter. In any yeah. case, they whenever they come out about them, that's all. That they, matters, absolutely, right? and I I love the covers. You had a a Aragonis and Dave Sim cover with with Gru and Cerebus. You, I mean, they were just I love those, and they basically just told you what every publisher had planned and it's not like it was rumors or gossips they 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 spoke to the publishers and the editors and the writers and they're like listen okay so from first you're going to have this with nexus and this with dread star and we talked to peter david and we talked to mike and and so you knew you got a rough outline of what the publishers were doing for the next few months and i Man. And the cool, the cool thing about those issues now is to go back and revisit them and take note of all the things that never saw the light of day. I know. That's fun. That's fun. It's, it's fun. Or or arrived in different forms than were originally reported. Yeah, because they, they were, um, there were some things as, as even the regular issues, it's like, okay, yeah, this is going to be a, a, a three issue miniseries and it ends up becoming, you know, just a regular graphic novel. that they were just, for whatever reason, um, logistics just, it, it, things didn't pan out the way everybody always anticipated or, or price increases, but the, the, the preview specials were, were so fun. And, and I, um, I still have a bunch of those. And again, even though it doesn't matter if I've read the issue, doesn't matter if, um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I enjoy rereading them and, and, Looking at them again years later and, and seeing either what I've retained or forgotten and, and, uh, what may have caused us to go down a path on a certain episode or anything like that. But the, uh, I do still enjoy looking up for old issues at a convention. Just, I'm not trying to complete a run. I just, I want to see what I may have missed. And, and as, as they got towards the end of, uh, end of the the series as 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 Fantagraphics was wrapping up Amazing Heroes. It, it wasn't it didn't have the um it was almost like San Diego. It got a little bit more Hollywood. They were talking about T V shows and 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 uh and I mean still things connected to comic books and the stories, but it, it just it wasn't it didn't feel like the same magazine from right. the uh, the mid eighties, the, the the late eighties and and it just but I love, and I love seeing the, the changes and, and how, how the magazines just 
morphed from the early days to when they kind of just hit their stride and everything was firing on all cylinders and seeing names that, you know, Mark Wade was an editor and, and, and there were just, yep. there were just some crazy names attached to whether they were editors or writers or contributing. It, it just, it, it is a, for me, it is, it's, it's a blast in the past and I, I, I love it. Um, that said, so Bean also <laughs> loves them and he, um, he was kind of one thing uh, out of all the amazing heroes I've read. I am only familiar with amazing heroes in the smaller than a comic book size format. Um, smaller size magazine. I mean, bigger than a reader's digest, but physically a little smaller than a comic book. Uh, however, early, early, early on their first handful of issues, their first volume, their, their first attempt, uh, when, fa- because Fantagraphics at the time was publishing the Comics Journal. And the Comics Journal can be a little snooty, can be a little... No! Uh, <laughs> you're be, so wrong. It can be, can be a little, listen, we're, oh, you're so cute with your costume heroes and, and running around with your capes and, and we're not looking down at you at all. No, there, there were definitely, there was an attitude with the Comics Journal. It was a great, yeah. it, it was a great magazine, served a purpose. It I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Um, well, I always wondered if within the Fantagraphics offices, if the Amazing Heroes people were kind of like pushed to the side by Gary as being like subhuman, like, oh, they're those spandex people that report on that. I mean, he, it all, the money all came out of the same pool. So I'm sure he was fine with it if it made money. So, which it did for a lot of years. The, um, it, it's, it's funny you should, Kind of say that, bring that up because in, uh, there's an editorial in one of these by Kim Thompson where Kim talks about dealing with Gary and, and introducing or, or bringing about or, or even coming up with the idea of a sister publication that caters more towards the mainstream and, and, and the superhero, uh, genre of comic books and the the magazine that being sent me is the original amazing heroes a handful of issues from the early days where they're more of a magazine sized periodical uh issues um three two it was it's it's issues number three through um through 12. Number 12 has Paul Smith's X-Men. And this was, and the, um, there were so, I, the covers alone are just amazing, but I need to, like I said, sorry for not mentioning it last week. Love you for sending them. I'm, I have, I didn't know if I was going to start from the first issue for issue number three. I just read through 12 or if I was going to hop around, I am hopping around, uh, because we're going to be doing a little bit of a fancy flashback tonight. So I wanted to just, um, pick an issue at random, which turns out wasn't all that random. And, uh, there are a few things never is. that I found interesting in, in this issue, but, uh, just, just, just real quick issue. Number three has the, uh, the Justice Society of America on the cover. Issue number four 
Uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil is the cover story. However, there's, it's, it's not even, it's really not the main story of the issue. It's, it's pushed more towards the back. So that was pretty interesting. Uh, number five is Kazar Goes to Hell, uh, with a Brent Anderson cover. Number six is the one I'll be talking about tonight. Number seven, Gil Kane talks about the Micronauts. Number eight, Thunder Agents. Number nine, Captain Carrot and the Amazing Zoo Crew. Number ten, The History of the Metal Men, which can kind of segue into something else for tonight. Uh, number eleven is your special horror heroes issue, where Gene Colan does the cover and there's um, Marvel Wolfman talking about Night Force. There's a new artist on the X-Men, History of the Swamp Thing. And number twelve, like I said, an awesome Paul Smith cover uh, of the... X-Men and it's um yeah these are all from 1982 1981 1982 and it was um man it's just it's just there were even if I was even though I was reading comics back then and and going to the newsstand and seeing what I wanted to read uh I wasn't reading the fanzines that early in 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 my days. So it was it's nice and, and strange to see what was going on behind this. I mean now we have, you know, everybody thinks they know everything that's going on when when a cover gets recalled or 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 just want to know why, you know, someone left an issue and what's with the fill-ins and everybody jumps to conclusions and and comes up with their own theories and and we're a lot more tuned in and and plugged in and anytime something changes, we feel like we have there's a sense of ownership, but we feel it's it's it bums me out sometimes because for whatever reason, comic book fans just seem to feel like they're owed something by the creators. They go on Twitter, they go on Facebook, they follow them on social media, and they the creators are hounded. And and it's you know at a convention you get to talk and and go face to face, but I don't know of any other entertainment or it doesn't happen with sports doesn't happen with, with other forms of of media you know you don't no one's i mean someone might talk shit about lars or james but it's not they're not going on twitter and like harassing him and and just being dicks about it all for some reason comic book fans just love to think they just it, it's it's strange and i i'm i'm did not mean to go down this tangent but it's just it's it's the there's a big difference from getting information today and and how close you are to the information these days than when you had to wait a month to read a magazine to see what other fellow fans thought by reading the letters page in these magazines or seeing what other things were happening with your favorite publisher or 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 what was coming down the pike with with a character that that you're a fan of so um the time has passed for magazines like amazing heroes so part of why i love it so much is that it is a time capsule and i can kind of just unplug and and not worry about anything going on online and just read these magazines and finding out you know why 
Hawkman can't catch a break and and just oh, still go crazy. Some things don't change at all, but you know, it's it's just no. I just I I love these magazines, and and every so often when Vince and I can kind of go off on, I I, I sometimes wonder if if Jay, I, I'm sure Jason enjoys hearing us talk about them, but you know, it, it's definitely as which is weird because. My man's the the Ohatmu king, and he loves all this information and and getting it. But that's about the characters. But right, a lot, and it's, and a lot of times it's, I get the feeling like he doesn't give a shit. It's an encyclopedia. It's like you know, yeah. So it's it, it's the way he absorbs the data and the kind of data that that the way it's presented. And like you said, it's the characters and 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 it's whether it's the official handbook or who's who. He loves soaking in that data but yeah i mean to 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 get a magazine because he's also not the kind of guy to watch the the, exactly. the features on a dvd or the documentary exactly so, yeah. no you're right yeah but so what is your flashback take me down that lane tonight's flashback is from uh it's cover date is november i want to make sure i get the right year it is november 1981 this is issue number six of Amazing Heroes with an awesome, beautiful Bill Sienkiewicz cover, uh, A Peek into the Future of Moon Knight. Oh, boy. <laughs> and partly because Andrew Shaw's birthday was this week. I get it. And partly because I read issue six and seven of Moon Knight. Uh but that's not the main reason. It's not, yes, the Moon Knight cover caught my eye. But as I'm reading this issue and I'm going through things like the comics report and looking at the contents of the issue, there are a couple other things that um, make it a little timely or topical. But, uh, for example, in the comics report, Big news is that DC to published 1982 annuals because the annuals kind of went away for a while. Yes, they did. So uh, DC brought them back with a cover date of 1982 starting in May with two a month. And the schedule is Legion of Superheroes annual number one. So good. Was on sale in May. Um, Sergeant Rocky annual number two. Superman Annual Number Nine, yep. Warlord Annual Number One, Batman Annual Number Eight, and the Teen Titans Annual Number One finished. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was also uh, the oh Thunder Agents. Yeah, there were a couple of little snippets of, of Thunder Agents throughout these issues here. Um, Can you get enough Thunder Agents? I don't think I don't so. Think so. No. There's a uh, DC shuffle with Justice League of America and World's Finest Artist Switches. Um, Rich Buckler was supposed to take over the penciling duties on Justice League of America following George Perez's issue number 200. Uh, but Don Heck instead will become the series penciler. And the, let's see... Buckler will begin drawing the Superman Batman series in World's Finest. Uh, there is a, oh wow, they actually, there's, they're swapping anchors 
on the Flash and Captain Carrot. <laughs> nice. Scott, Scott Shaw. Uh, the, uh, Warner in DC is forming the Wonder Woman Foundation. That's because today dropped the, uh, the latest trailer. This I would have killed to have attended. I would have been giddy to sit and listen and watch this masterclass, especially if I was sitting next to you, Vince. An invitation to join the masterclass, a private seminar in illustrating comics conducted at Los Angeles and New York creation conventions. And the class consists of Bern Hogarth, Oh, jeez. Harvey Kurtzman. Stop. And Gil motherfucking Kane. Oh, uh, boy. Well, they got the name right, didn't they? <laughs> this is, let's see. Enclosed is my check or money order for $100. Oh, my goodness. I would like to enroll in the master class in these two locations. Uh, I understand I will receive instructions, blah, blah, blah. Make checks payable to Gary Groth. Okay. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what master class? We don't know anything about this. <laughs> I wonder if anybody ever went to one of these. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so that, that was an awesome ad. Um, this was interesting. Dealer, well, yeah, it, deal, Chuck Rosansky oh, criticizes Marvel over the price rise from 50 to 60 cents. Oh, how dare he? And, and the reason he's mostly miffed is because, um, in the letter that, uh, Chuck wrote to James Galton, the, the president of Marvel, he apparently Chuck says that Jim Shooter swore there is no price hike coming. And lo and behold, uh, barely a couple of weeks later, there's a price hike. And uh, there was uh, Mile High Comics spent $700 in sending out 20,000 copies of this statement, this this open letter, this this, this petition, uh, 20,000 copies to be signed um, by... Fans, dealers, other collectors. Um, the the letter contains things like uh, Marvel Comics had an excellent opportunity to hold the line on prices, work with companies serving the collector's market, and possibly gain enough sales and profits to lo- they always do that to lower prices because that's what you're in business is to lower prices in the future. Instead, short term greed has won out, um, and. Yeah, he also asked Galton to to kind of like let Jim know what's going on so he doesn't look like a fool when uh he's asked about things business-wise, but Jim says, "Yeah, it it I think we blew it." Jim agrees with Chuck, but um there are extenuating circumstances. Sometimes things happen that make it difficult to do things in what seems to be the best way. And what I found interesting is there's something called the popsicle principle. Uh, Marvel editor-in-chief Jim Shooter doesn't think the price of comics has risen too high. At the September Marvel News Conference, Shooter explained his philosophy about the pricing of comic books. It's the popsicle principle and the candy bar corollary. Shooter explained with a grin, as long as we're in the approximate same proportionate price range as we traditionally have been relative to popsicles, candy bars, and other small impulse items that young people buy, we can't be overpriced. So 
if a candy bar goes for 35 cents these days, uh, when I was a kid, candy bars were nickel and comics were a dime. Now comics are 60 cents. So I cannot believe that we are that far out of line. Well, I'm glad the kids weren't buying crack. Well, I, you know what? I mean, I, I look, we're at the supermarket or, or CVS or wherever, and I'm looking at the front where the register is, and I'm, I look at the candy bars, dude. I didn't, when the hell did they go over a buck? I mean, I don't buy just single candy bars, so it just, it blows me away that you can't buy a, you can't buy two candy bars for less than a dollar. Well, you can at Walmart. Yes. But, I guess, you know, if, if, if a candy bar is a buck 29, a buck 49, then, and, and a comic book is 499, I'm guessing that that's still kind of, I don't. Yeah. Uh, it does make sense back then. Back then. Yeah. There's a, uh, Marvel shuffle with the Captain Marvel. Uh, this confused me slightly for a few seconds because it's the Captain Marvel album. They talk about it again in Daredevil stuff where, where there's a Daredevil album, but it, they, it's a graphic novel. Jim Starlin's graphic album. Featuring the death of Captain Marvel has been delayed and now scheduled to ship in December. The cover price has also increased to five ninety five. Um, worth the wait. Michael Gold, yes. Michael Gold is scheduled to take over the penciling of Doctor Strange when Marshall Rogers completes his current six issue stint. Um, let's see. Starburst Marvel is discontinuing distribution of Starburst, the British magazine, similar to Starlog, published by Marvel UK with number thirty eight. It's not bad. Have you ever seen any I, of those? I have seen. I, I can't really say yeah. it. Um, I got a bunch digital. They're they're not that bad. Uh, one of the very first comics I remember buying off the spinner rack at the newsstand where my grandfather in Massachusetts would buy the newspaper uh, was the second issue of the adaptation of Blade Runner. And they actually have a little snippet here where Marvel talks about... Adapting Blade Runner, um, as they did with Raiders of the Lost Ark and For Your Eyes Only. Uh, there were plans actually to adapt Rocky Three, which didn't go far because, yeah, publishers didn't make a killing on any adaptations about Rocky. Um, and Quest for Fire, which Marvel had previously announced it was considering for adaptation, will not be done. Um, <laughs> don't know why <laughs> i don't know um and and then hey, before we get there's um the coming distractions which is your november comics checklist so some of the issues that were coming out in november um actually yeah the the starting to come out uh the end of october um through november you have daredevil number 179 which has that awesome cover of Electra with the sign and, and with Daredevil's mask um, on it, and that's that. That's the issue where reporter Ben Urich narrates this issue, which he in in which his investigation into the Kingpin uncovers more than the Kingpin thinks is healthy for him to know. Also, a rooftop battle between Daredevil and Electra. Uh, let's see, Kazar number eleven, Moon Knight number sixteen, Micronauts number thirty-eight. And from DC, Eric, Son of Thunder, number six. Never talk about that. Uh, Green Lantern, number 149. I remember this issue of The Flash by the cover. They're just, they didn't, this is what solicits should be like. This is, 
Okay. The Brave and the Bold, number 183, Batman and the Riddler. The death of the Batman. Batman and the Riddler alternately team up and compete to find a kidnapping victim before dawn. That's, that's great. I don't need to know anything beyond really what the team up is and maybe what the issue is about. I solicit these days just for me, for my taste, just, just tend to go a little above and beyond. I know people need to know what's going on so they can budget and, and I just, but I, I won't mind it being reined in a bit. Now, I won't get into the bulk of this, the, the main part of this issue because I'm dying to find out what the hell your fanzine is tonight since you, you, Oh yeah, I thought knowing that you were going to do this, I selected one especially for you. Oh. Yes. My question to you is don't answer until you've heard it, but who said this? That's my question. Who said this? The uh title of this paragraph is words follow pictures. And this person says, one of the things I want to stress is how comics follow the line of the image and not the narrative line. In other words, comics look like certain things because of certain artists. It's like newspaper work. When a couple of illustrators like Foster and Raymond came in, they altered it. They were a direct projection of the kind of practiced American illustration that you got in magazines. But when Kniff came in, he altered the field by creating a kind of naturalism through the drawings, through the image. The storylines begin to become different. They became much more naturalistic and believable in the context of what was believable in the 1930s, that is. The same thing happened in comics when Jack Kirby exploded in the late 30s and early 40s. All the work before then had been patterned after a variety of strip artists and Louis Fine. Jack came in and he simply sucked up everything and opened up brand new possibilities for narrative in comics. Those possibilities wouldn't have existed if Jack hadn't come in. Now, the truth of the matter is that the world of comics may have had a slot open in that course of their development that was just waiting for somebody like Jack to arrive, like Beethoven, in effect. In other words, someone who would sum up everything that preceded him, but at the same point, point the way to the future. To some extent, that also happened with Neil Adams. Jack had absolutely dominated comics for all those years. And finally, when Neil came in in the late 60s, clearly influenced by Jack in terms of the way out action and so forth, but also influenced by advertising art, the combination made it possible for Neil to direct Green Lantern down sociological pathways that Jack couldn't have done. His style wouldn't have accommodated that kind of narrative line. In other words, the human relationships or the narrative lines that are possible in Neil's work are clearly not possible in Jack's. And on the other hand, there are things in Jack's that aren't possible in Neil's. Who said this? This sounds an awful lot like a panel that Gil Kane was on in <laughs> Dallas. You dick. Is it? Gil Kane. It's called Gil Kane on the State of the Art, a discourse by Gil Kane. 
When asked veteran cartoonist Gil Kane for an interview, we weren't looking for the standard how do you do what you're drawing next month and who's your favorite character, blah, blah, blah. Uh, knowing a good thing when we had one, we decided to junk our own questions and edit all of Mr. Kane's comments into one single continuous discourse. So it's an interview with Gil Kane, but it's not. It's more likely just Gil Kane's thoughts all mashed in together. But yeah, Gil Kane, uh, Amazing Heroes number 177. Cover is a Kane cover. Uh, it's, it's the ring. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, I the had Wagner. that issue. Yeah, Gil Kane. That's why you probably knew it. Well, also, like I said, it sounds just like the, um, I even posted it on the face, the, one of the comics journal issues that, that I mentioned a couple months ago. He was, um, it was him and, oh, because, no, we talked about it because, because, um, Jan Strand was on the, on the panel as well. Right, and Harry right. Gamble and, and, and a few other people and, and Burn and, um, and in that same issue earlier on, they, they, there was a transcript of Gil Kane's panel and a lot of what you just said. He pretty much, he's not, so it's, he's not bullshitting you. He, he honestly, no. you know, and, and I, I agree with him. And yes, I mean, there are, it's, it's why there are some, some artists are good. For certain work, you're not, you, you would not want a, well, I don't even want to say you wouldn't want that from Jack. I would, you can't, does not matter the genre. You can't say Western. You can't say war. You can't say true. It does, you can't use Jack Kirby as an example of, of what not of a, of, of, a, of an artist you wouldn't want them to see. But I mean, you wouldn't want to see, um, uh, uh, I don't know how a Phil Hester comic might look in space, but you know, they're just, right. you know, so it, it's, yes, there are, I, I do, I agree with Gil. Yeah, there are. And I agree with him to the, with, for the most part, but I completely believe that Jack could have wrangled the same sociological stuff that uh, Neil Adams did in Green Green. Uh, I don't. Night. Sure, he could mm, have. Because did you ever read Days of the Mob? Yes, but I also tried to read Superpowers, and you know there are the, the, that the, was very late. But career I know, group. but still, it's I don't know if you can say, but it's not like Neil was drawing what Denny was was writing. So it's not like I think I don't know how well Jack and Denny. Would have worked together to get what, um, and also because you know, Neil, Neil was much younger. I don't know about much. Neil was younger than Jack was at that time when they were doing Hard Traveling Heroes. So Jack's life experiences and, and what he's bringing to the table would have been, it would have looked, obviously would have looked different because of Jack's style, but the story, the, the, the storytelling, the way, the weight, of that story, how it was told, how it, it would have been completely different under Jack's pencil, and and, sure. it, and and it would not have had the same impact. It would not have because Neil Neil's realistic style lends itself for that story. You're able, you actually hear that old black dude get in Green Lantern's face and say. I always hear you talking about the blue man and the yellow man and the green and but you never hear 
to help the black man. You're never around. And, and for Greenland and then Green Arrow's like, he, you, you're out there playing space cop and, and you're following your rules and you don't, that's, that's where your mind is. That's where your heart is. That's what you want to do. And you're not down here helping everybody on these streets. And, and that would not have, you would not have gotten that, that impact. I don't know of anybody else other than Neil, if they had drawn it, you would have gotten that same impact, but I, I, it, it would not be as, uh, memorable or, um, recommended, I think, if, if Jack had drawn it. Okay. I think. Just your opinion. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was fun. It's good to have the flashbacks every now and then, isn't it? It is. Especially when the, um, there was the, the, the Moon Knight. Oh, there's also a hero history of, of Doom Patrol. So that, that's for you two events, but, nice. um, there, we'll get to there that. is a, uh, the, the Moon Knight article was, um, there's a little bit of, um, Doug Munch was, was interviewed for it and he's talking about when Moon Knight first appears or his, his, his introduction is, is mercenary and, and he's a villain. Um, in a werewolf by night story. And he, um, I guess Jim Shooter didn't care for his origin. So, uh, Doug had to kind of tweak it somewhat, which is where the other personalities came into play. And he wanted to, um, he wanted to have that story go longer. And, and he actually had, had things planned for like 30 plus issues. And they, um, he kind of had to tighten it up a bit and, and, um, they had to move up his timetable to resolve it in like 12 or 13 issues. Uh, he still hit most of the same beats, but it didn't, um, it didn't play out the way he had wanted. So they had to, he, he and Sinkavich went in and, um, got to take care of a few things, but there was frustration for, for Doug because there's that Batman connection to Moon Knight. And he, he's like, he's, he said it in the past. I've heard other interviews with him and it's like, you know, he's aside from being a millionaire, um, and, and living in a mansion, there isn't, that's, that's a Bruce Wayne connection, but there are other characters. He's not just, um, Stephen Grant. It's, you know, there's, there's Mark Spector, there's, there's, there are the other characters that, that make up this, this guy. Um, but then as time went on, there were other things that, that brought, uh, the connection to light, especially when Denny O'Neill becomes editor on Moon Knight. And obviously he had spent a bit of time writing, um, Batman and even Denny when he first shows up felt that the moon Knight was a bit like, like Batman. And as he's editing the book, he realized he was wrong. But my main question to you, to me, what color is moon Knight's costume? Well, the obvious answer would be white, but it's not, it's probably silver. It is 
and this is from Bill Sienkiewicz. It is black, but when the light hits it just right, my God, it appears white. It's it's <sighs> if if it was a white costume, he's like he'd be a sitting duck out there at night, and and so it's his his design is that it is black. So the light hits it just right in every, every freaking panel. Yeah. Every, it's, like, <laughs> okay. it's like when you see somebody with black hair and it's got the highlights of blue. So I'm guessing that, you know, yeah, but it's, he, um. If, if a costume is said to be black, but it's never black, is it, is black? it black? No, <laughs> it's not. Michelanti's outfit is black and they did a pretty good job of, uh, making right. sure that, you know, you know that it's black. But that was, I, I was, that's not the first time I've heard that though. And I don't know if they're just like, if it's ever, been changed to I think the cape and cowl are kind of whitish especially this way it gives it the the moon look with the crescent when when he's got it open but um yeah I guess I guess the costume itself covering huh. his, his his body but yeah so there was um amazing heroes number six there you go all right you know what I done did what you done did I got caught up on all the Hanna Barbera books. All of them. I didn't. I know. And, and I know that you haven't read Flintstones, so I won't touch that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, what are they up to? They're up to four or three? No, you kidding me? Six. Six is coming out. I get them. I didn't, I didn't check to see which, which was the latest issue in my box last week. There's a David Bowie nugget in one of them that just made me laugh out loud. Where's the dip? Um, you know, I was okay. I won't say anything about Flintstones except the way that Steve Pugh wrangles emotions out of his characters. Uh-huh. He, Kevin Maguire has nothing on him. The facial expressions in Flintstones are amazing. That's all I'll say. But I know you don't like this book, and I know Jason doesn't like this book. <laughs> yeah, so please go on and talk about it. But I, mean, I got to talk about go it because I love this book. And I, 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 going in, I wanted to hate it. You know, this is true because while it's not, uh, it's a beloved cartoon to me, but Jason absolutely adores the cartoon. So of course he wasn't going to like it. Right. But I allowed a little bit more leeway in my, um, willingness to, to submit to whatever the creative team was doing on this book. And I'm glad I did because I really like Wacky Raceland. You do. I'm probably in the minority, but as usual, I don't care. Um, I read issues three, four, and five, written by Ken Pontac, illustrated by the awesome Leonardo Manco, uh, color art by Mariana Sanzone. Now, this book it gets really weird. Extremely strange in issue five. I'll give you somewhat of a rundown. You're still not going to read it. I know I'm preaching to the deaf here, but that's okay. In issue three, see, Dick is really not so bad. He, he is Dick Dastardly, but, and he's abrasive and acidic and sarcastic and, and flies off at the mouth most of the time and allowed his wife and child to die where he would live. But he's, I don't think he's really completely bad um, because in three he saves Penelope from drowning 
Long story short, okay. right? Um, and she, she kind of, she doesn't exactly bond with him, but, but in a, in a, in a rare moment of humanity, she tells him about her past. Penelope's Greek, as in not descent, she's from Greece. Okay. Her father died in a racing accident. Mom remarries. Penelope has a little sister now. New dad, whom Penelope has dubbed the Cyclops, does not like her at all. He abuses Penelope, abuses the mother, abuses the sister, and Penelope is trying to get the gumption to fight back. And all this backstory is illustrated like a, um, I'm trying to get the correct age, about the age of fifth, no, about a six-year-old would draw. Very simple with crayon, and that's how the pages are drawn, like a child drew them. Um, Penelope falls in love with this stable boy and plans to leave the island with the stable boy, take the mom and the sister, and be free of the Cyclops forever, but the Cyclops sees all. He kills the stable boy. There goes Penelope's plans. So what does Penelope do? She kills her father, her, her stepfather. She kills him. Problem solved. Happily ever after, right? Wrong. Um, an angry sea claims Penelope's mother and sister, leaving her alone. So Penelope has no one. That's why she goes into the great race. She's got this huge guilt. She doesn't feel bad for killing her father, her stepfather, but the mother and the, and the sister being drowned, that, you know, that could play on you. I think Penelope's somewhat crazy. Um, lots of action this issue. Penelope and Dick fend off against these gigantic sea creatures. Um, there's mutated crabs in here. Uh, the, the the racers get split off at, at one point. Um, and the rest of the racers battle these slimy um, Lovecraftian abominations that can control your mind. And there's a neat little commentary on religion in the first couple of pages. Um, you would like issue four. I think. I'm, I'm, I think. Because um, it's the end of the race, and all the racers need uh, much-needed R&R. So where do you go? Las Vegas. Why is Las Vegas still standing while the majority of the planet is in ruins or overrun by, by nasty creatures? It's because the casinos were fortified to withstand a nuclear war. How about that? <laughs> and not only that, they had a slave labor force to maintain them. They had all this this cheap or you know zero pay labor to to maintain the, the casinos, and they're also climate controlled. So Las Vegas is the place to be, but it's riddled with gangs. You got your pharaohs who have dog-headed Anubis mutants in their employ. There's a group of clowns who kill people with oversized mallets. There's a, a gang called the Caesars who walk around in full Roman regalia. Of course they are, right? They're in Las Vegas. Um, and they are led by this postulant, corpulent, barren, Harkonnen-esque neon Caesar. He's this real big fat guy lying in his throne. He's got spikes all over him. It, it's, it's, it's fun, right? But there's a group. That's why I'm saying you would love this issue. There's a group called the Comb-Overs. A gang called the Comb-Overs, whose leader is pictured exclaiming, 
I will build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me, and I'll build them very inexpensively. I will build a great, great wall on our casino border, and I will make you pay for that wall with your bones and your pain. Mark my words, right? And Pat Pending loves him. He goes, that that guy's got to be great because he's obviously a narcissist and he's clearly insane. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But there's this this subplot in that the Red Baron owes somebody some money because not only money, but he pissed off this 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 man called the Colonel. Uh, Colonel had a daughter. Daughter took a shining to the Red Baron. The Colonel the Red Baron owned the Colonel money, and the daughter steps in between the Colonel's shotgun and the Red Baron, and he shoots his own daughter. So he hates the Red Baron for it. Um, and the dialogue is ridiculous in this section. The daughter says, this is post pulling the trigger. Daughter says, you, you killed me, daddy. (laughs) (laughs) And the the colonel says, my baby, my baby, my little girl, I'm so sorry. Uh, it's stupid, but, um, you got giant two headed white tigers, arena combat. And finally, it only took them four issues. A double page splash featuring a very, very detailed view of the creepy coop. So Vince am very happy with this issue. But issue five is the kicker. I guess because they realize we gotta wrap it up. Because the series is not gonna be continued. I believe issue six is the last. It's not a big surprise, is it? Right? Out of all the Hanna Barbera ones, this was probably the one most people would think would get cut. Based on well, it's not selling very well. I know that because when they introduced, when they announced, you know, Flintstones is it's a mature take, but the bones are still there. Everything that that makes the Flintstones tick with with Betty and Wilma and Barney and the Quarry and everything everything that you know about the Flintstones is in that comic book. Even though it's skewed to a older reader who knows the cartoon and and can appreciate the storytelling in that comic, the Future Quest is a lot of fun because you have all of these characters, all the Hanna Barbera characters, together in one book. Um, that was impervious to failure. There's no way Future Quest was ever going to fail. I mean, especially when you have, like, not just Steve Rude, you have Ron Randall, you have, I mean, you have, Doc Shane, you have yeah. so, you have some great artists on that book. Um, Scooby Apocalypse, I'm, I'm behind on that as well, but I know that, uh, the first couple issues I enjoyed, I just, I have, with everything else we've been reading, that fell by the wayside, so I'll catch up on that because I am still getting it. I'm getting it from my friends so she can have the issues. Um, so you're going to read Scooby Apocalypse? Yes. Uh, then I can't tell you about issue six then. And and uh, and I read Flintstones and I give those issues to Renee because Flintstones is one of her favorite cartoons. So, uh, But Wacky Raceland, it wasn't just like we all talked about it when they announced it and Jason, I think, was more excited than both of us because it's like sure. it's Wacky Racers, that's my jam, I'm on it. But it wasn't anything like, I'm not that Scooby Apocalypse, even though, even Scooby Apocalypse is like the cartoon because you have this gang that's 
in the cartoon, they solve mysteries, but they're trying to find out what the hell's going on in this world. There are monsters just like there are in the cartoon. So it is, it's not like the Flintstones, but it's still thematically accurate. But Wacky Raceland was just completely different than everything else that, that, that DC was doing with these books for, from, from the source material. And I, I think it had a lot going against it from the get go. So no, I'm not surprised it. Yeah. I agree with you where you, where it had a lot going against it, but I don't think it's all that dissimilar from the cartoon. It's, it's certainly more violent. There's far less bits of humor, but there is humor in the book. But, um, and the, it's the dark. lens that it's, oh, it's sure. It's the lens, I was going to say the lens that captures the lens through which we see the characters and their cars is really distorted, extremely distorted and dark. So yes, in that respect, it's much, there are no primary colors on any of the vehicles except maybe the red. No, but I think even thematically it's darker. It is. Sure. I mean, Dick Dastardly watches his wife and child being consumed by nanites. That's pretty damn dark, right? Penelope Pitstop stabbing her father to death. Um, and, and on and on and on. But, alright, issue five is the kicker. It's called The Butcher Shop. Part one of probably two. Very important issue. Um, the racers trip balls on magic mushrooms. Seriously. They consume these magic mushrooms on the road. They're tired of the race. They're done. They they just want to leave. They don't care what the payoff is. They just want to divest themselves from this bullshit. The the omnipotent announcer, they don't believe a damn thing he says, and why should they? Um so they're they're it's at night, they're sitting around a campfire, they pull up these mushrooms and they're like, Hey, can we eat these? Sure, let's eat them. The only one that doesn't eat them is Dick Dastardly. But so they put the mushrooms in their food and they trip balls. And in the process of doing that, it unlocks the memories that were deliberately hidden from them. By who? Well, it has something to do over the course of issues four, three, four, and five. Whenever Dick would encounter a giant monster, he noticed that there was a branding. There was a pictogram branded into the skin of the monsters. It's a DNA chain being cut by a butcher's cleaver. And he takes note of it and nobody pays him any attention, but he sees it again and he says to himself, you know, this means something. I, I, I gotta keep my eye on this shit. Um, but I won't reveal too much of the backstory in case anybody wants to read this because it's really cool. But it involves genetic experimentation, and there could very well be a link to the events in Scooby Apocalypse. Hmm. I don't know if it was planned or if it was just the tip of the hat. You need to do a little bit of fuzzy math to, to do the timeline, but they show a sequence when Muttley's being experimented on, and he's injected with a genetic enhancement, and it's called... SC-OO-B2. <laughs> Scooby-2. Uh-huh. Yes. So, there, whether the Wacky Raceland is the culmination of 
the events that are initiated in Scooby Apocalypse, I don't know. But it's neat to be able to imagine those two books existing in the same timeline, albeit stretched out. So I, I very it much be a nod. To... It could be a nod, but I, you know, me, oh, yeah. I want everything to. I don't oh, want everything to be a thing. Yeah, well, it is, but. I, I enjoy Wacky, Wacky Raceland very much. The the grease that opened the door was Leonardo Menko. I love his work. I always have. I think he's impeccable. There's one issue in this, the three, where it looks a bit rushed. It's not up to Menko's usually impeccable standards. It, it, a lot of panels are very loose. Uh, some of the figures in the background are very gestural. You could tell either, well, I can only imagine what was working on him. If he had a, a crunch, deadline crunch, or if the word came in that, hey, we're not long for this world on this series, wrap it up, you know, he maybe became disheartened because he put, you could tell looking at these images that he put a ton of effort into this thing. It's all on the paper. Whether or not he has digital assist is, not the issue. If, if if he does, it's not glaringly apparent. But I just I I, I enjoy this book so much. I'm going to be sad to see it go. But you got to get your shit together and read Scooby Apocalypse number six. You have to. I will have it read for next week. I'll just give you the title of the story: The Secret History of Velma Dinkley. Dun dun dun. Yes, and there's a backup story, illustrated by Dale Eaglesham. Huh. It's awesome. Yes. What you got? Oh man. Um I have You know, speaking of Moon Knight, I read uh, like I said I read 6 and 7. And this follows the um the first 5 issues where um, so now you're getting back at me for the wacky races. Yes. <laughs> where Mark and company were escaping the institution, um, or the asylum. Uh, and issue six starts off with a movie set. And Stephen mm. Grant is producing a, um, a Fist of Conshu movie. Huh. Yeah. And Marlene is there, and um, there they leave the set only to get into a cab, and that these first few pages are illustrated by Alfredo Torres, and they get into a cab, and all of a sudden the art changes to Francesco, Francovia, and we are in the cab of Jake Lockley. So, Jake Lockley, Stephen Grant, they're all Mark Spector. How can he be in the backseat of a cab he's driving? Um, and Crawley pops over, and he's basically trying to make sense of it all and, and bring bring Mark back to, to reality, kind of ground him a bit. Um, it looks like Jake wasn't talking. To Crawley at all, he turns around, looks in the back seat, nobody is there, but he goes to the trunk, 
takes out Moon Knight's costume. And then we cut back to Stephen Grant looking at a white suit that he's got to wear for, for a little, uh, a gala in the evening. Um, which happens to take place at the mental institution that he was a patient at. And two of the waiters who are walking around with hors d'oeuvres, um, Bobby and Billy were two of the orderlies who were beating the crap out of him in the first arc. Uh, Steven needs some fresh air. He walks out and into a James Stokoe drawn moon base where the moon knights have to jump in there fighters and go up against the space wolves. And so now we're in outer space. And so issue seven. Wait a minute. (laughs) Go back. Space wolves. Yes. It's not John Jameson, is it? No, it's um, from the pilot seat of the moon night one. Mark Spector can see the moon base. That is humanity's last hope and the fleet of space worlds that space wolves that want to take it. Mark can stop general Lupinair if only he can stay focused. The general's name's Lupinair? Yeah, L-U-P-I-N-A-R. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, see, when I saw that cover on issue seven, I think it is, with the wolf. I thought it was I, Wolf by Night. I, I thought, it, because it would make sense that Werewolf by Night appeared in Moon yes. Knight. What with Moon Knight's first appearance, issues 32 and 33, I believe, of the original Werewolf by Night series. That's where Moon Knight came from. And that's one of the reasons why I hate Moon Knight. Because I do not own Werewolf by Night 32 and 33, and I I probably never will, because now, I mean, I'm not talking CGC, but a good copy, around a a VG copy of Werewolf by Night 32 goes for around 350 bucks. Yeah. Yep. (sighs) Just because of Stupid Moon Knight. And that's, well, I mean, if you like the character, great. I, I've, I've never, I've never really warmed up to Moon Knight. I love the art. Winston Kevich did it, blah, blah, blah. I read the Fish of, uh, of Conchu series. I, I bought it all mm-hmm. up until a certain point, but not one of my favorite Marvel heroes. Werewolf by Night, on the other hand, yeah. So I will never own those. The, uh, and speaking of the black costume, that's kind of how Greg Smallwood draws it i now uh, they're giving greg a couple months off a couple issues off so he can come back for the next arc so we have um and when we had jeff on we 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 talked about it briefly and it it absolutely makes sense that homeboy lucked out because when you have different aspects of mark's mind his personality is all fighting and and trying to take center stage the fact that they all look different is is so fitting and it and it just absolutely yeah. works and um i i love greg's work on the title this cover for number seven though i just for some reason it pains me to say it i almost thought it was a greg land cover 
Wow. For real? Yeah. I mean, when you look at it though, cause you can see the, the, the texture, the feathering and in, in the, in the facial hair and, and it, there's, there's a lot more to it than what Greg Land would do, but just, just the, the expression and, and just the fact that it's, it's just a profile. It, it's, not a horrible cover. I no, think it's, it's not. It's just it reminds me of that style where and and uh, Greg Land just likes throwing faces on covers, and some of them look a little vacant. And, and I mean, and this this and like you said though, you thought it was Jack Russell, and it would make sense. But I mean, it, it's not. It it ties into the story, but it's not. It it it's it's not. These Stoko pages, right? These Stoko pages are they great. are gorgeous. Uh, so issue seven. Is mostly um, the the Battle of the Moon Knights uh, by by Stoko. There are a couple of pages by Francesco in in this issue where we see um, Lockley. But uh, yeah, this this fight and there are actually there are some pages where they are both both artists are tackling panels on the same page. Yeah, um, there's a double page spread cutting between. The fighter pilots and the cabbie and, and it's just, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so yeah, so this is all just Mark trying to figure out what the hell's going on, where he is, what he's doing. And, um, it, it, the, the last page is, we're not sure what the hell is, is going on really. And, and, uh, actually, and Jeff is the, um, the letter page keeper for this issue. But man, I am, you know, it's, it's weird. It's not like it was so long ago, but yes, you know, when Warren Ellis was writing Moon Knight, I was enjoying it. Colin Bum was writing Moon Knight. I was enjoying, you know, I, I enjoy the previous Moon Knight series. I am loving this. Um, you know, this is this, the kind of moon, this is the kind of Moon Knight story and, and this, this take on the character that I enjoy, you know, the whole, um, yeah, I would read this. It's just, it's not, it, I remember the Chris Warner, the, the, the Fist of Conscious and the Mark Spector Moon Knight, and then, and then there was the, the David Finchstraw thing that, that Charlie Houston wrote. I, there was just, there was some, some Moon Knight stories were just either too much in some way, shape, or form, whether they were just, I wasn't digging the way they were, I wasn't digging the writing or, the art, the, the the Finch stuff was just so heavy and 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 too detailed and and, and but yeah, so not to dwell on that stuff. I am enjoying this series a lot. I don't know, um, I don't know how much longer this particular. Actually, wait, no, did it say? Um, let me see if it says it on the recap page with the title. Uh, yes, part two of four. So there are two more chapters left for this chapter, uh, for, for this storyline, um, incarnations. So, uh, I am enjoying the Moon Knight. It, it's, it's, uh. Well, I can't call you out on this one because based on what I see on my screen here. Yeah. It, it, it's a good looking yes. book from all, all parties. Damn. <laughs> do you, uh, do you want to talk some Valiant? At least one we can, but I, or would you want to save that? 
No, no, we don't have to save it. There's there's one book I really want to talk about, and it's and it's timely. I believe it came out this Wednesday. Batman number ten. Yes, it did. Yeah. Written by Tom King, illustrated by Mikhail Yenin, color art by June Chung. It is I Am Suicide Part Two. Yeah, I thought it was Janine. Whatever. Okay. I could. I, hey, please. I, I'm I, not I, well, I, I, I just it, it, anyway. Yeah, Yanin. Yanin. Um, we talked about issue nine, maybe last episode. As recent as that. Um, Batman is in Arkham rounding up a, his own hand-picked team to go and retrieve the psycho pilot, psycho pirate, mm-hmm. sorry, from Bane in Santa Prisca. And, uh, as we're walking through Arkham, Arkham is arguing with Batman saying, you know, you really don't want that one. I can't let you have that one. That one's too dangerous. And Batman's stressing the point, the fact that he wants the one he wants. And at the end of issue number nine, we find out that the one he really wants is Selena Kyle, Catwoman, who, it's stated, has 237 counts of murder. Now, when when I read that, I let it go because I'm thinking, okay, Tom's going to explain this because David has read much more of the Gotham books in the New 52 than I have. I've read very little. I, I started maybe, I, I did maybe two years of the Snyder Batman, and that's basically all I've read. So whether or not Selena Kyle was a mass murderer, I didn't know. So I asked David, I said, "What? what is this? What's going on here? Selena Kyle is, is killed 230 odd people? Like, what's Tom doing here? Is this a Tom thing? And and David said he didn't know. If it was, right? That's it, exactly what I said. I, oh, I, so. I haven't seen much of Catwoman since she and Batman were making out on the top of uh, the building right. when the New 52 started. Yes, yes. So, I mean, to get into this issue, Batman uh, invades Santa Prisca airspace um, repeating a mantra. Re- repeating a mantra that that's awesome, and it, it, it you can tell that um, it's it's definitely a nod tonight. <laughs> tonight. It is. It is. Batman keeps repeating Bane. I've come for the psycho pirate. Um, turn him. Uh, I need him. What does he say? I, I need, need him, him to save someone who needs to be saved. I turn him over. I'm leaving. You don't give him to me. I'm going to break your damn back. And that is just a blatant nod to Nightfall. Because in Nightfall, Bane does exactly that. He breaks Batman's back, which opened the door for Azrael to come in and, you know, the whole thing. So um, Bruce gets shot out of the sky, takes on uh, Bane's shock troopers. They overwhelm Batman. Batman is brought into Bane's stronghold. And Bane, well... I don't believe that he broke his back, obviously, because a human being cannot survive a broken back for very long. Right. I believe that he extended, yeah, he, prob- he, probably did nasty stuff to vertebrae. He hurt him. He hurt him. And it makes it look like he broke his back. Because he, um, it, it, and it's because 
Batman invaded mm-hmm. the country. Justice League is not coming to that save him. Brilliant. Brilliant. See, that's the thing. I love that. When they can tie the individual to the larger group like that. When Bane, Bane is smart. Regardless of what you saw in the third Nolan movie, Bane is, is very intelligent. And he's like, your buddies are not going to be able to help you because if they do, you got an international incident on your hands. You stupid fuck. Which is, and, and in the previous issue, Bruce even tells Alfred, don't wait up. I may be gone for a while. And, yeah. and, and it, there's no, there's no way of knowing. So, um, when Bane gets in his face and, and he's, Batman is thrown in front of him. He says, you know, um, now you're alone with me and, and, um, I don't got the venom anymore. Exactly. Before, yeah. if I, with the venom, I would have bent you over my knee. And, and, uh, but now that I'm free of the drug, I am sadly not strong enough to punish you in that manner, which is a pity, but this will do. And, and that's when he yeah, does what, what it says. And all while this, while, all while Bane is telling him why he can't do what he wants to do, Batman is again saying, I've gone for Psycho Pirate. I need to yeah. save someone who needs to be saved. Turn him over. I go away. Refuse to turn him over. I will break your damn back. And he is, and even the, the lettering, the word balloons, everything's getting all, all jittery and flittery. And, and it's, it's, he's not as strong as he was. He's been, I mean, aside from getting shot down, he was, he tried taking on the shock troopers. He gets the crap beat out of him, gets thrown in front of Bane. Bane then does what Bane does and then mm-hmm. drags him into the uh the same cage he spent the first 17 years of his life. Yeah, I thought that was a real nice touch. And and the, an even nicer touch was it took Bane 17 years to get out of this cell. It takes Batman let's overestimate the time under an hour. So that just goes to show you right there that the Wayne is the superior organism here. Right? Oh, without a doubt. It, yeah, it gets out of the, the, the holding cell and uses uh the back door to let in Selena Kyle and the ventriloquist. And, you know, that was his plan. His plan was to get thrown in to that cell. So I, it didn't look like he was fighting back against Bane all that strongly. Maybe he went limp. I, I honestly, I thought that it was Batman going in was the DC equivalent of a life model decoy because he kept repeating that, that, that <laughs> mantra over and over. And it could have been all that was programmed that the LMD was programmed to say. And I was like, okay, I didn't, I didn't think Tom would do that. Um, but you know, this is great Batman. I'm reading Batman again. Yeah. It's nuts. It but the thing then to go back to the the topic with which we started this this whole take on Batman 10 if Selina murdered and and we forgot to mention throughout this entire issue there's a narration going on that's handwritten a letter yes. to Bruce Wayne from and you don't know initially who it's from but um it's obviously that is someone that knows it's, that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yeah, towards the you get um 
she starts doing. You get maybe halfway to into cats. it, yeah, and that's. But aside from, unless you have somebody, um, on Slack, telling you, you know, kind of giving it away. Un- no, no, not not knowingly, not knowingly, because I didn't, because you, because you mentioned, you mentioned the character, you mentioned Catwoman, and then you you mentioned the number before I read the issue. So as I'm reading the letter, I'm like, okay, that was in number but, nine, but it was, or, yeah. No, it was also a number nine. And had I remembered the end of number nine from, from their scene in Arkham, you know, if I had read them back to back, it would have been more apparent. But yes, as I'm reading it, I'm like, well, maybe this isn't Catwoman, but no, then you get the little hints here and there, but they also both covers the, um, I saw the, uh, the variant cover, but I mean, the, the main cover has Catwoman on it, but the, the, the Tim Sale variant has Catwoman breaking into a safe. Yeah. Um, with Batman in the background. So they, they, they definitely, you know, who's writing this letter just based on all the clues you have. But yeah, so the, uh, when I reread the end of number nine, I didn't know if maybe it was a, if it was an accident mm-hmm. that, uh, that caused Deeds death. So I, I, I don't, I had no idea why there were so many deaths. That it was a, was connected that, that, that she's being attributed to. Right. Um, Selena Kyle was put in a, in the, uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne home for boys and girls of Gotham. And while she was in there, she would, uh, look at the painting of Thomas, Martha and Bruce on the wall and imagine and wonder. And the, the, uh, the painting became, um, the happy place for Selena. In, a, in, a, in some ways. And when, uh, terror, does it say terrorists? Yeah, terrorists. Yep. Uh, Kandak. They, they destroyed the, the, uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne, um, institute. What did I call it? The, the school for the boys and girls, home for boys and girls of Gotham. Um, they destroyed it. And when they did, you know, to, Selena grew up to take revenge. On these people, and she she states a number: two hundred thirty-seven people were in some way involved with this bombing. And that's where David and I we didn't we don't argue ever, but no, David's, we were playing the semantics game. No, David sees it as revenge. Yes, I see it as revenge to a certain point, but the rest is just plain mass murder. It, it's, it is, it is, but yeah. there's once she gets the last person she's done it's not like she's going to does it erase what happened no that's but that's nuts. but but it it helps and that's that's the other thing yes i know when someone goes why hurt them it's not going to bring your loved one back but it may it's it's cathartic it may help ease the pain it's 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 yeah. a way to get past it and and you know you are stronger than it so but i everybody deals with grief and everything in their own way. So yeah, obviously she, she felt strongly enough to go after anybody who had a hand in this bombing. So if you, I gotta, I gotta say though, if you're a terrorist organization and it takes 237 people to blow up an orphanage, you're a pretty piss poor terrorist organization. It should take like what? 15 tops. That's an overestimation. And that's, and, and it's, you know, if, if, 
if it's a foreign terrorist organization. So, I mean, how, how far did this go? How deep? I mean, is she just, is, is she, is she going after the baggage handlers for any of the planes that, uh, I you don't know, know, so I mean, it's, 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 but it's, yeah, she got everybody. She did. If, if you were in any way, shape or form, um, if, if you were connected to this, right. if you, if you helped to facilitate the bombing, you did. You did. And, and my question to David was knowing Bruce Wayne, would he allow this person to gain access to him? To, would he, would he, would he let Selena Kyle in knowing that she has killed 237 people? Well, would he sleep with her? What, Come when on. did, when did she do this? Because if they had a relationship and then she went away for a bunch of months, you know, it's not like she was nine years old and started killing these guys. I don't think she started doing it until she had the means to do it. So their early encounters when they were a thing, the, these, these kisses that never lasted, you know, think she likes them though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, according to her words, but I don't know. I love, I love Tom a lot and I think this Batman is great. Something about this feels wrong to me that she has killed this many people. Yeah. I'm not, I, I am not at all comfortable. I, I understand, you know, if, if I just think Catwoman may be going overboard on someone who slaps around one of her girls and, and I can definitely see her taking issue with that, but to, um, methodically plot out and, and kill so many people. That's, that's not really Catwoman. And again, this is, is, you know, this is post rebirth or new 52. You know, this is, may not be the, the Catwoman I'm used to. This isn't, this isn't the year one Catwoman, but, um, no, you know, hooker, I can believe, right. Thief, oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, but serial killer, I, I don't know. And that's, and yeah, and that, that was the other part is that you, you, you focus on the serial killer aspect. And yes, you know, there are patterns, serial killers, you know, that once you hit a certain amount and there's a method, then yes, you know, you, you, you get that serial killer label. But, um, I just, I don't view it as serial killing because she, she's not picking just random people and neither do serial making, killers. There, there's a type. There is a type and, and, and there's, and, and yes, there is a connecting thread and they're also leaving clues because they want to get caught. This well, was, she, she had a, she was more Frank Castle. <laughs> then, you know, the yeah. Green River Killer or, or Ted Bundy. You know, he, he, he was driving up and down the street looking for someone. She, she's looking for people, but she's looking for specific people. And then she, once she takes them off the board, that's it. Ted Bundy's driving down the street just because it's, he could get away with it. And he's, he, whoever just stumbles upon the road that night. If they fit the profile, exactly. they're gone. So, right. Yeah. So it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot more, Things a serial killer has to do to, to for his victim or her victim, but she was she 
this was revenge and, and it, it, it's, it's a lot. It's extreme, yeah. but I, yeah, I, I think we need to, um, I, obviously she wrote the letter. So, you know, this is her saying this to him and you know, so it's not like he can find out, you know, well, is it really 237 people? She's like, no, it's 23 points. You know, it's like, it's, it's, I don't know where they can go with this and what kind of relationship they're going to have or that, or what they've had. I don't know, um, the lives of these two people in, in this current universe. So, right. I'll, I'll let, I'll let Tom let it play out and we'll, we'll see where it goes. I don't know if it's a Tom thing. I don't know if it's something that, you know, he's inherited because of previous storylines. Right. But we do agree that it just doesn't feel right. We absolutely agree. Okay. Good. I like it when we agree. And well, it, it happens. Once in a while it does. The next issue is called Breaking Bane. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, I think we're going to agree on this next one too. You do? Yeah, from Valiant. From Valiant. Written by the great and the only creator to get a whole month, an entire month, on 11 o'clock comics. <laughs> Written by Fred Van Lenty, uh, Francis Portela did the art, but in issue three, he shares the art duties with Derek Charm. Yes. Um, Andrew Dalhouse, color. In the book, it's a brand new series. Three issues to date. It's called Generation Zero. Zero. We are the future. It reminds me of that Class of 1984 movie. Do you ever see that? Just because it has an Alice Cooper song in the in the soundtrack, and one of the lines is uh, "I am the future," and it's dystopian, and it's not at all like this. But um, the the story, in a nutshell, is um, young woman, high school age, named Keisha, has a boyfriend, and the boyfriend starts to spout conspiracy theories. Involving the, uh, the town in which they live, um, Rook, Michigan. And this town, um, was like Detroit. But someone stepped in and jacked it up. Uh, the school systems were, uh, revamped. Uh, innovative technology was implemented. The kids use floating touchscreens to do their work. It's all very high tech. Um, corporate interests moved in and, and, and just elevated the city far above most places on the planet. And the, the students are, they're, they're thriving. They're flourishing because, um, it's just a revolutionary way to learn. Um, but there's something wrong in Rook. And, and her boyfriend seemed to have an idea. Stephen seemed to have an idea of what was going on. And he's, He's killed, but it make they made it look like an accident, one of those type deals. Um, so Keisha, who is aware of a group called Generation Zero, mysterious group who doesn't really reach out to you unless they will take your assignment. Um, they're and they're a group of psyots. So 
on a whim. She she decides to to try and contact Generation Zero, and lo and behold, they return um, her message, so to speak, and they're on the case. There's a lot of problems here. Keisha's father is the law in in Rook, Michigan, and Generation Zero. The three members were introduced to first. Um, specifically Christian, rub his, her father the wrong way. And then the, the book, you know, takes its, its course to three issues. But I, I, I really like the book, but issue three was when I fell in love with it. <laughs> I figured. Am I right? I, I absolutely love Portella's artwork. Um, it's, I, I like Keisha. Um, I, I'm a little, I'm not surprised that issue three is when you fell in love with it, but I would have sworn I would have paid good money to say that there's something in issue two that it doesn't, it doesn't affect the story in any way. But I thought that little nod would have made you really appreciate it. What, to Bloodshot? No. Oh, because you know how all these Psyots got freed, right? When Bloodshot put the kibosh on Project Rising Spirit, they were all being held. Oh, okay, right. And and they they were allowed to escape. So there's a Bloodshot tie into Generation Zero. What am I looking at in Issue 2? When she has to go to the vice principal's office. Da, 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 da. Look on the vice principal's desk. Oh, jeez. I just noticed that. The vice principal has a photo of Frank Zappa and Jack Kirby. Yeah. Uh, the, the next page the, is when you really see it, because when she's talking to the mother, it, it, it's in. Oh, my God. I didn't even notice that. I'm such a nah, dirt. man. Because it's the art is the art, man. You can't, and it's and and it's it's you know Fred's writing it, and you just re, you're reading the conversation. You're looking at the mother because the fetus is talking. It, it's just it's it's crazy. Yeah, we're not we're not really giving you all the information on on the generation zero characters, and and part of the fun of that is is finding these characters out and and experiencing them on your own. But getting to the third issue. <sighs> That was um, the <laughs> uh, I would have loved to have gotten the the um, the Derek Charman and Dan Parent cover, but uh, the the bulk of this issue because they're in Adele. Adele is the captain of the cheerleading squad and, and she's the, she's the Heather, she's the mean girl, she's the, she is the big cheese on, in the school and, and, um, you know, the, 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 she has the main jock wrapped around her finger and, and, you know, whatever she wants or needs, she gets and, and she also, her, her father's in, um, her father's a high level. What's he? He's a, a city official. Yeah, but he's like way up on the yeah, food he's chain. Probably one of the reasons why Rook is the way it is. Right, 
and um Adele was secretly in love with Steven. Yes. Because Keisha and a couple of the um Generation Zero members open up the lock Adele's locker and it's just plastered with photos. All, all of, stalkery um, type stuff too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obsessed. It's and um so they decide to get to the bottom of it. Like why would she even you know they Keisha knows that Adele and Steven had a brief thing, but she didn't know that there was this level of infatuation going on. Um so what they do is what is the the the, the term? Is they enter or just... superscape or something. They they enter Adele's mind, but it's like this group mind thing where they all their consciousness is can sink into Adele's unconscious because there are things that uh, a conscious and controlled person are not willing to tell even if they want to. There's some things within your subconscious that are buried and you're not even aware of them. So they, they, they immerse themselves in Adele's consciousness and the, when they do that, Adele's consciousness looks like an Archie comic. Complete with the lettering of Adele in these kids. I mean, that is straight. Archie, yeah. yeah. That, that font is just, you can't, it, it's, you recognize it instantly. Right. Y'all are aware of Francis Portella's art style. Very clean, very much in the, the rip school. I mean, you know, just beautifully crafted, very clean line. And then it goes to this Dan DiCarlo-esque, um, Archie style of rendering from the get-go. It's not, you don't even see the switch. The last panel of issue two doesn't even hint at this. When you open up issue three, it looks like an Archie comic. And then you see the, there's one panel, there's one page where, um, Portela and Derek Charm split the page. And the top two panels are in the Archie style and then the bottom panel, you know, flat, flat-ish color on the Archie the uh, styled, uh, pages. And then Portela's work is, you know, full blends out the wazoo, fairly dark. And it, it's, to see them side by side like that, it's just, it's staggering. Well, right? it's, it's also dark because it's, it's nighttime. They're in a, they're in a room. Well, right. I mean, it's not like it's, it's colored darker. Um, you know, you can't tell what's going on, but no, it's still like, yeah, like you said, it's, it's very clean and it is, it does, especially this page in, on this panel with, with her hair and, and the way everybody's laid out. I, I can see it kind of being, um, rip-esque. But, um, less lines than that. Yes, that's what, yeah, almost yeah. like, um, son of a bitch. Uh, kind of like, it, it's, it's almost between Rip and maybe like Jason Burroughs. It, it's just, it's kind of, yeah. So it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very clean. I, I think, I think Portela is a much more elegant I agree. illustrator than, than Jason yes, Burroughs. I agree. Without a doubt. Um, yeah. The, but we haven't even touched on the, the the members of the group. No, that that's the real gold in this series. There's the, the my favorite by far is Gamete. Oh, <laughs> Gamete the super fetus. The, is... when, when the armor during the armor hunters um, fiasco, when Ginger attacked Mexico City, uh, destroyed Mexico City. Um, this woman was with child. And the woman went into a coma 
but the baby is a psyot. So the fetus refuses to be born and it's controlling the mother's body. When the mother went in to talk to the, the, uh, the school official, she's like, the, the official's like, why isn't your mouth moving? Like the, the baby speaks and the mother's mouth does not move. The mother just, it, the mother's face doesn't move. She's expressionless. No, she's got this the, smile on. That is dead so, eyes and it's just, yeah. it's freaky AF, but it, it is, um, but yeah, so, so the word balloon, the tail is actually coming from the belly. Uh, <laughs> can't eat the super just, Um, that, that doesn't really surprise me. I, I thought for a second you might have said cloud, but no, that, that does not. No, I like, I like cloud. Yeah. yeah she's, cloud is just a, a, a super happy, um, cerebro. Sayat. She, she, she grooves on emotion. Um, she could tell whether, immediately tell whether, what you're thinking, whether you're a good person or, or bad. She, she knows your thoughts. She's like, she's like the Sayat mood ring. Yeah. Yeah. She can pick up on things, but she's also a, she's kind of like a, doesn't she extract the team from, she's the one that makes it, uh, that makes them able to extract the team from Adele's mind because if, if, if Cloud wasn't there. Yeah. There was no way they were getting back. And the, 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 the last page, um, of the third issue, that's, I'm, yeah, it, it, Fred still knows how to, Get you anxious for the next issue. Sure. Yeah. Fred's a professional. He'd been doing this long enough. He, 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 he knows the rhythm. He knows the, 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 the hooks that are gonna sink deep. And, and he, the, the, every one of these issues, like the, conceptually, this is so far, I think this is the richest conceptually Valiant has been since the, the start. With maybe Archer and Armstrong being a, a close second, just because Fred, you know, wrote that too, mm-hmm. right? But um, the the team is amazing, and I almost don't want to get into it too deep because I think one of the joys of this book is seeing all the different members and what they can do. Um, there are some where it's readily apparent, like there's a young girl whose code name is Animalia and she's like the valiant version of Beast Boy. Mm-hmm. She could she could morph into animal bodies and like at one point she she grows these she's still human esque, but she has these two giant gorilla forearms. Like she's ready to throw down. Then there's another one where she turns into a kind of Cheshire cat type thing. Uh she turns into a cartoon squirrel in the in the archie themed pages it's just there's a lot going on in this book oh yes yeah you and you have to pay attention the the panel count is also very very high in on most pages. absolutely so, it's it's not um well it's borderline scooby apocalypse level dialogue oh, the wordiness there's a lot being said here that's true I think it's a winner. Oh, I do too. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely um one of my favorite new series without a doubt. Um 
and I am, it, it's, I, I'm kind of looking forward to a, um, Harbinger comic. Sure. Even though you don't like Peter. Right. So, uh, but that's because it, it, these, these preview pages are showing you that it's, it's written by, um, Raffer Roberts, who's doing fun stuff with, with A&A. Uh, but your artist is Mr. Derek Robertson and I am a fan. So yeah, that, that's enough to get me to, um, check it out. Super detailed, uh, too, the art. I mean, more, more, far more than he was kicking out on the boys. Yes. That's not a dig. No. Maybe that was the style he deemed, uh, suitable for that book, but this is like, very intense line work on this. I can't wait. Yeah. That starts in November, which is this month. Yes. <laughs> wow. Creeps so up on you. So Regeneration Zero number four or Renegades number one first. You, you, well, right. Yeah. It's tough. It's a tough call. It is. Although, well, no, I probably won't. You will, but I'll, um, I'll read Bloodshot USA number two first. Yeah. Yeah, you would. And, and then you'd probably read Savage number one next. Yes. Yeah. Looks great. But Valiant's still kicking, man. I hesitate to bring it up very often because Jason takes a nosedive. But if, I mean, if I had my way, there would be a Valiant segment every episode. I just think their books are great. You do. Love that. I mean, you say the F word. In front of him, <laughs> it doesn't go over well. But Faith is great. Um, of course, Bloodshot. Any of the Bloodshots, fantastic. Divinity. It's just all good. There, there's really not a not a stinker in the bunch. And this, they're subtly revamping the entire line. XO is no more. You know, I heard through the grapevine that maybe Eternal Warrior, maybe you know, a thing of the past. I don't know. We'll see. Hmm. But. Yeah, he's not going away. Right. That that's a fixture. It's just that his own book may um not be around. So what else do you have? I have oh well there's something else we can see, Mom. Yes. I hope it's what I'm thinking of. I bet it is. Superman number no, it's um I didn't read ten. <laughs> but that cover, dude. Oh my the god. Cover though. That cover's amazing. <laughs> oh, it almost looks like they want to make out. No. <laughs> Why you got to go there? <laughs> the way Superman's looking down on Batman. Batman's got the jaw sticking yeah, And he out. should be shorter than Superman. I like that a and lot. I, I love the fact that that uh, uh, Jonathan is just like fucking <laughs> talking with, with uh, Robin and Robin's not having yeah. it. No, why, why would Damien ever have it? Uh, but no, that is not, I, I, I started the, um, the 10th issue. I didn't get very far into it though since it was close to recording time. So, uh, but I did read on your request, your behest, um, one of the young animal books. Hey, the, First issue of Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. All right, shoot straight. 
Did you like it? I I did. Ah, nice. I did. I um, it's the um. I, yeah, Oming doesn't drive me to a book, but he's not going to turn me off of it either. And, and I like the art here. It's, um, it complements Doom Patrol, um, without trying to be the same type of book. There, the, the, each page is pretty packed as far as what the information on it, but the, uh, you know, it doesn't look just like his power stuff. It doesn't, it, it's, it, it works for this story, for this setting. Uh, the, I don't, you, you pretty much get to know everything you need to know in the first couple pages. And as the issue keeps going, you know, you just, you're, you're, you're pretty much all caught up. You're all, we're all entering it. Um, at the same time, and it's it's pretty easy to catch up and just get in gear. Uh, yeah, I I'm somewhat with you on the Michael Avon Oming. I I don't dislike his art, and I find myself buying books on which he works. Like I was probably the only one of us that read Mice Templar. Yes. And, um, it wasn't, uh, was it God Complex? Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, I like his work. I don't love it. Like, I'm not right. thrilled. I'm not thrilled with the power stuff at all. I, 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 I don't know. It's just in that setting, that theme, it, it could be the, the genre that's working against me because you know me and detective things, uh, mysteries like that. I did it just don't click. But I, so that all said, I gotta say the cover to issue number one is to date Avon Oming's finest hour. I think the cover is absolutely brilliant. It's stunning. Yeah. The cover's great. It's, it's, you it's, can't not look at it. It is eye catching. Uh, the, and it kind of lets you know, again, everything you need to know. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it really does work. It, it's, it's, it's one of the few times where you can judge a book by its cover. Everything sure. is, everything's laid out for you. Um, right. Well, that's the central theme of the first issue. Yes. Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye ellipsis and it ain't working too great. That's, that's all you need to know about the, well, that's, that's the major thing you need to take away from the first issue. Um, Cave Carson was an explorer, um, leader of the Mighty Mole team, w- along with his wife, Eileen, and daughter, um, oh. ev- eventually daughter, Chloe. Uh, unfortunately, Eileen takes ill and dies. And, and Cave is just broken. Um, he takes a leave of absence from work, uh, and as this is happening, his cybernetic eye seems to be on the fritz. Um, when he takes, you know, he thinks that the brakes on his car aren't, aren't working right, so he takes it to his his buddy, uh, who just happens to be a mechanic, um, Jack. I'll leave the the surname till the end of the book. Uh, 
Jack's working on the car and Cave Carson's eye, which is constantly scanning all the time, 24 seven, all the time, just scanning and scanning. Just look, um, it's, it's noticing details on the toolbox or, you know, in the way that Jack is wiping off his socket wrench or, you know, different bric-a-brac in the, in the, in the auto shop. He's, he's just noticing it. The, the, the eye is always on the go, but it's also seeing visions of his deceased wife in the way I interpreted this. His wife Eileen comes, seemingly comes to him. The eye sees this and it looks like multi-spectra. Like she's coming to him on different wavelengths of the visual spectrum. There are two blues, two greens, um, you know, um, do your art, Roy G. Biv. And, but there's one where it looks like, you know, the, the fourth dimension, like our world, right? Um, so he's, he's having problems with this, that he's seeing all these quote phantoms. So if you had, um, an eye, which is, uh, which is basically a mystery mineral encased in alien metal, who would you take it to in the DC universe to have them look at it? I know. <laughs> you do know. And I like that it, this is in the, it's not like in this little young animal universe, yeah, there happens to be a Doc Magnus and the Metal Men. This, right. this is in the DC universe because they do mention, you know, Cave talks about a team up with Superman and, and the, the eye is not, right. um, you know, Kryptonian or, yeah. or Exorian. So, so they, this is part of the DC universe. This isn't a little, where we're we're keeping to ourselves and we're going to pretend that you know like Superman and Batman aren't a thing. Yeah, well they got to be real careful with this because when these books catch on and I'm assuming that they will if they start if they want to start mixing like say Shade the Changing Girl appears in Cave Carson that opens up a whole bag of worms with meta and where, whether or not that is in, you know, the Vertigo version of the DC Universe or the DC Universe proper, like it didn't matter what Swamp Thing, they just pulled them in, right? But they gotta watch that because comic book fans are real sticklers for that kind of are they? data. Yeah, I personally don't care. They can have crossovers like willy nilly. I don't have to know. Exact, but there, there's a contingent of fans that want to know, okay, well, what does this mean about Rack Shade? Does blah, blah, blah. So I think it's, I think it only benefits these books that they're set in whatever version of the DC universe this is. Cause the metal man there does not look like the Duncan, was it Duncan Fregredo? Who did the last incarnation of the metal man? I think it was. Was it Lopresti? No. Oh, no. Um, in the Legends of Tomorrow, that was, uh, Yildere. Okay, right. They don't look too much like those characters. Like, uh, Platinum is not the classic depiction of Platinum. You know, none of them really look like the traditional version of the Metal Men. But we know who they are based on their, um, metal color and their size. Right. Yes. 
So that's it's all good. They don't have to look like the old metal men. But but the visions some are fleeting, but some visions he thinks are visions turn out to not be visions, but real world events. He he once visited a a, a place called Muldrug. I am not familiar with that. And one of the denizens, a Muldrugan, comes to him and, you know, I'm assuming that the Muldrugan becomes aware that Eileen has passed when they touch heads. That one panel where they, you know, when Cave says Mazra Patral es het, I'm assuming he's saying that Eileen has died. Yeah. I'm assuming, I'm assuming het is death. Because then the Muldrugan says, Muldrugan is het, meaning I'm dead too. And this, that's when this thing emerges from its mouth, destroys the body of the Muldrugan. It's this, it pulls a John Carpenter and transforms into this like hideous insect fanged monstrosity and, you know, cave beats it. But while he's fighting it, he's seeing his wife again and this other woman who we don't know who it is i don't know who it is anyway um but the kicker for me and i already i i love you know three quarters of the way into the book i was already in love without a doubt but he refers to his buddy as jack so i didn't know who you know who's jack we don't know i just thought okay supporting character jack mechanic you know we'll see where this is going but Jack is Jack Wheeler. And Jack Wheeler is Wild Dog. Wild Dog. Complete with the hockey mask and goofy dog shirt. Gotta have the jersey. And the and the armaments and the the knives and the big bada boom. Yeah, and he's got the scars. I don't know how Wild Dog is going to factor in to Cave Carson. I don't care. (laughs) Because because I love Wild Dog. It was goofy. The the miniseries was goofy. I I followed it into Action Comics Weekly. Right? Didn't last all that long, did it? I don't it? think of that. I I wanted. I never read the serial in Action Comics Weekly. And then, I mean, it was it was derided by by a lot of comic fans as being a a Punisher knockoff, right? Or it's it's you combine the Punisher with the, with the Fool Killer, and it's kind of like but it wild was dog. I mean it, it was co-created by Max Allen Collins, so there was there, mm-hmm. there was a little bit of um it was slightly cerebral. It wasn't it wasn't just I'm going after drug dealers and rapists. It was you know he no. there, there was there was a mystery involved and and um you had to guess which of these new characters were Wild Dog, and it could have been and they, they were all. High school friends and, and, you know, one was, uh, serviceman, one was a mechanic, one was, you know, a reporter. Everybody had enough clues where you thought any one of these guys could have been Wild Dog. And, and as we, um, as the miniseries unfolds, you find out who it is and, and why. But yeah, I mean, it, it's basically, it, it was a, it was very much, Reminded me of the Punisher, uh, but with, um, 
not as not as bloodthirsty and uh it was pretty violent he was. Though. yes the, the book was yeah, violent, yeah. but but he um i i think i think Waldo was a little bit more i don't want to say even tempered but he 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 had restraint yeah i yeah i'm hoping that this takes off so i can get a uh graffiti designs wild dog shirt and i will wear the oh, hell out of it that. Yeah, the dog always made me smile for some reason. Here you have this guy who's going around, you know, a masked vigilante going around killing people. And the dog is goofy as hell. This red cartoon smiling mm-hmm. goofy dog. I love it. I, I want that shirt. Did they ever make I don't one? I think they did. I want one. Especially now that the character's in an arrow. Maybe they will. It, does he have the shirt on yes. an arrow? With the, did I ask you that yes. before? I, 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 I'm gonna have to start recording Arrow yes. just to see the goof, the wild dog. That is ridiculous, as Jason would say. But no, I, I ate this series right up. This first issue was just completely in my zone from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Yeah. And the nice thing about Discount Comic Book Service, if you don't remember the URL, it's dcbservice.com. You can get all of the Young Animal books with one click. That's it. You just go, and you just got four books. And they're they're like, what, 50% off? It's yeah. close. Some Yeah. So it's a no-brainer. I, I, I'm, I'm so glad that I got the... Uh, the paper copies of these. And you know what's going to happen, right? With the trades, they're going to put behind the scenes and sketchbook crap in it. And I'm going to have to get that too. I wonder how they're going to do the Doom Patrol for the trade. Do you think they're going to put the sticker on the front of the trade too? Hmm. The, the, the hero sticker? And I got an extra one in my box. Did you? No. Oh, actually. I was reading. No, no I didn't. I was reading a comic and the sticker just fell out of it. It was almost like the Doom Patrol comic number one with the, the, the hero being central. I'm reading it and it just pops up at, at odd instances in the book. I'm opening the book and the, the damn sticker fell right out. I was like, this, that just didn't happen, did it? And it was cut. So I don't know if it was intended or if I just one of those things that, that was the cosmos. Hmm. Saying it was meant to be, bitch. Damn. <laughs> nah, these are good books. You should read them. Me, you meaning the people listening at home, they're already reading them. What do you think about Mother Panic? I have no idea what's going on there other than it's related to Gotham in some I way. I have not seen any pages from it. Really? Tommy Lee Edwards, you didn't see the pages? I have not. Oh, but yes, that's why I'm, I, I can't wait to read it because of Tommy. Super, um, super. We did not um, touch on the backup. I was getting there, and I'm not talking about the who's who pages that we saw in the ash can. No, <laughs> my man, Tom Scholey, dishing up some superpowers, complete with the classic superpowers logo. This chapter is entitled The Wonder Twins. I told Tom directly on the Facebook, I said, that is the best page you've ever drawn. 
Don't you think? I love it. It's magnificent. You have the Wonder Twins um, in like Victorian, maybe, yeah, around there, Victorian finery. All the frills and the lace and the poofy and the hats and, yeah, accoutrement. And they're riding baby blue winged tigers. Unicorn horned tigers. I don't know why. I don't care why, but it looks awesome. And the number of panels on the last page of part one is, well, I, it's, it's, that Joker's really disturbing. Yes. And probably intended so. And but that ties into the the Mego. I I would bet my life that that Joker van there, that whatever that vehicle is, the the, the that Tom thing. intended that to be an homage to the Mego toys. Yep. Well, I'll just ask him because we're cool with Tom. But as to what exactly is happening. On that last page, um, or how it factors into the the Wonder Twins, I don't know, and I don't care. I'm hoping. Do you think that they're going to do a when all is said and done that they're going to do a trade of just Tom's superpowers separate from the Cave Carson? Because that that would be phenomenal. I can see that. it. Because you don't want to read, like no, Tom's going to have yeah, to, or, or it could be a flip trade, depending on how many. Oh, a, f- a flip trade. <gasps> You're welcome. He's going to thank you, because you know Tom. That's probably he probably was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Well, it's probably not up to him, but it should be. And Gleek is in here, clapping away, hanging upside down. Um, there's not too much story yet. It's only yeah. three pages, so stick with it, but it's pure showly. Like, this is just, this is like straight from the id. I don't know what he's doing. I don't care. I'm, I'm just loving it. And it looks like the hammer, the Joker's hammer speaking. It is. That, that big ass mallet that the Joker's carrying around, that's doing the talking. Hmm. Yeah. And it's classic Batgirl. My goodness, this is so good. And he's he's got the crayon layer going, and the 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 muted colors. This is just amazing. Tom can do no wrong in my book. He can poop on the page, and I'd be all over it. It's true, you would. Yeah, because he's he's an artiste. He's 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 far above the the level of craftsman. He is a he's an artist artist. Hmm. Truth. He's truth. But yeah, buy into the uh, young animal books because they awesome. Don't say we didn't tell you. You have anything else? Did you have my? Well, f- you. I didn't. What? So that segue wasn't the wrap up. The the DCBS end. No. No, I'm just saying. It could have been. It could have been, but no, I wasn't. I ain't got nowhere to go. I could do this all night. You could. Some of us have to work in the morning. I feel like meatloaf there. Actually, 
<laughs> would not be meatloaf. So, okay, yeah, I guess we can seg. Um, DCBService.com. That's a hell of a segue, isn't it? Flat, straight. Um, they are the absolute best. If you want to get your books inexpensively, and who doesn't? Is there any among you that does not want to pay less for your comics? Raise, raise your hands and you can leave. You, in the back, go. DCBService.com will get you your books cheaply, inexpensively. They will get them to you fast and they will deliver them right to your door. It cannot be any easier. Right? right. DCBService.com. In your travels. I got this in my box. I'm only halfway through. I want you to guess what character it is. Written by Len Wein. I tell you the artist and you're going to get it. Colored by Michelle Madsen. Art by Kelly Jones. Uh, featuring a, go ahead. <laughs> featuring a, um, this is a gimme. Featuring a character created by Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not, it's not the convergence. No. Nope. Nope. It's, you know what it is. It's Swamp Thing. This is called The Dead Don't Sleep. It was a post-convergence six-issue miniseries. Joining Alec Holland and the Swamp Thing are none other than Phantom Stranger, the Spectres in here, Zatanna, Bayou Action. There is creepy crawlies all over the place in this book. Brilliantly. And I can't think of a better word to describe Kelly Jones's art. I have loved him since day one. First time I saw Kelly Jones was on Chrome. Uh-huh. Remember Chrome back in the yeah. day during the during the black and white explosion, but it was a color book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, obviously Mr. Jones owes a huge debt to Bernie Wrightson. It's apparent in every line the man drops down, but it's not an aping of Bernie Wrightson's work. It's an it's a catapults out of they are they are cut from the same cloth, but. Mr. Jones likes to be more uh, shadowy and shapely. This is Bernie Wrightson. Uh, those two words can uh, very well describe uh, Dead Man's in here. I mean, come on. Kelly Jones drawn Dead Man. Why wouldn't you buy this book? Uh, like I said, I'm halfway through. I The, the story so far is pretty damn cool. I don't want to reveal too much of it because I could be wrong. To By the time I get to the end, my... Um, assertion of this thing could be totally off base, but um, it seems to be part fever dream again. That always fits well with Swamp Thing. It's just a great book. It's, it's a, I think it's a, I didn't read this, the Convergence Swamp Thing, so I can't speak to that, but I believe it was also illustrated by Kelly Jones, wasn't it? Pretty sure. Wait, which one? Convergent Swamp Thing? Or was it Nolan? I don't think so. And maybe it was. Maybe it was. I'm thinking, I'm thinking it was Kelly Jones. But uh no, this book is great and it was cheap. 
it's uh like I said, I believe it was six issues and the cover price is only sixteen ninety nine. DCBService.com, I got this thing for less than nine bucks. Nice. There you, there you go. go. Um in your travels, I'm sure this will be collected. Uh What's so that? you can get it all in one fell swoop. Um I finished Finally sat down and read the last five issues of The Vision by Tom King, Gabriel Hernandez, Walter, and Jordi Belair. Although uh, Michael Walsh did an issue, um, it it didn't feel like a fill-in issue, but it was a um, it was a it was a story pretty much about um, Vision and Scarlet Witch through the years uh, from when they got together and, and uh, them having their issues and him turning white and their kids and, and Wanda falling in love with Simon Williams. And so that was a good issue, but the mo- but, but then the rest of the, um, the series was about Vision and his family uh and it's there weren't too many light and happy moments in the series but it was a um it was a hell of a ride and there's um so is it done now this was the yes this was the uh this whole issue was the last issue um and the the letters page of issue twelve, it's um it's from Tom. He said that uh I wrote this comic after another comic of mine got cancelled, and I very honestly thought this one wouldn't make it either. But I had something to say, or at least I had a way I had a way I wanted to say something, and so I did. And it didn't get canceled. Not only did it make it, it made my career. All because of you amazing, astonishing, uncanny fans stuck by this thing, bought this thing, talked about this thing. I don't exactly know what you're supposed to say to the people who help put food on your table, who buy the braces for your kids, or at least I don't know a way to say it that's not stupid and corny, so let me be stupid and corny. I'm grateful to you, forever grateful. I write so I can write for you, I will try in the future to always write something worthy of your time and support of your intelligence as readers. Uh, through all the stupid, ridiculous, ignorant crap you sometimes have to take as a comic fan, at least remember this to me, to this one nerdy writer, you are nothing but cool. Um, but there was a, um, there, I'm not going to, um, I'm very careful to try not to, to spoil anything really from it, but there's, uh, you would think that Vision would create a family and would, uh, um, he does care for them. He cares for them very much. And, and, uh, as much as he could, he loves his family. But 
they are treated as outcasts. They look different. Um, but the, the kids, um, they just, you know, want to go to school and do their thing, but they, they all, um, there's something happens to everybody in this family. And, and, um, what was really, really neat is that Tom brought a character in that I wasn't expecting. Um, and when vision makes a dog sparky and, uh, it's a, um, it's a terrier and it's, uh, the, um, I'm sorry, uh, schnauzer and it's, um, the, the dog is, is playing fetch. Someone's walking down the sidewalk, picks up the ball, throws the ball, and there is a, uh, this person then comes face to face with vision. And the character is Victor Mancha, who is a son of Ultron and therefore a brother of Vision. And he was on the Runaways. And I, he is not in, at least he wasn't in the third volume that I was flipping through, but he wasn't in the Runaways that I read by Vaughn and Alfona, so I'm guessing he became a member of the team much later, but, um, he basically has, uh, power of magnetism. But again, he is also, he looks a little bit more, he can fit in a little bit better than the vision. He, he can pass. He, he looks a lot like, like a human, but, um, he's, he has ulterior motives. He is not there for a family visit to, to see his brother and, and, his sister-in-law and um, his niece and nephew. He is there for a reason. Uh, things do not go well with this visit. Uh, they go a little awry. And, and that's when the, the last few issues of the book really start to um, uh, pull and tug and mess with your emotions. And, and Tom wrote an amazing book and it is a, um, you can't, you can't finish the 12th issue and not, not feel something. Even though these are, these are androids and, and these are not, not real people as far as comic book characters go. Uh, you, I actually, I, I read this and it was, it's been a long time since I cared about the vision. And, and Tom made me care about this character and, and what is in store for the character down the line. I, I thought it was a, um, it was a really, really well done book. Um, it looks amazing. It's, it's pretty consistent throughout. Um, Walter did 11 of the issues and they all look amazing, but it's a, um, it's a story about a family. And 
the the turmoil and the problems that your family causes and, and, and causes you and, and that you have to what you'll do to make it right. And and it is it's I I tend to be vague with, with certain things and, and this is a book where I really think you um I don't want to give anything away really. I mean there there's a lot I could say and 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 when um if you and Jason get it and, and, and finish it, read it and it's you know we we could talk about it in more detail, but I just um, I'm guessing Marvel's going to publish all twelve issues in one. I hope I don't know if they did a single volume yet, but I I they really should, and I really hope it gets the hardcover treatment. I I don't care that you know he's an exclusive with DC and he's working for the guys on the other side of the country, but I I really hope they 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 do right with this. Um, it deserves it because it's not it 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 feels like a complete story it, it's not like it was just you know 12 random issues with a couple of two-parters that you know just with, with some different artists and the same writer it's not it's it's not an x-men collection or anything like that it's 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 as i say it's one vision but it is it's it's written by one guy consistently the the, the art by walter with an issue by walsh it's just it it screams to just be put in in between two covers, all, all, all twelve issues, um, and it's 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 a complete story with a beginning, middle, and end. And I think it's it's a uh, there's there's um there's an, uh, Tom Tom did it right, and when when you get to the last page, um, there's. It, it it ends on that um uh there's a moment there where you can kind of it, it's not a choose your own adventure but yeah we we can see where it goes. someone can pick it up later and and run with it but uh i think that it it really as when you get to the last page there's there's a there's a sense of of completion and and it's it it all it all just fits. It, it works and it, it's, it's really well done. And you know, when, when Tom said he was working on a vision book, we're like, yeah, okay, that's cool. You know, it, I'll, I'll be there to check it out. And it, it's, I don't know you, you love his Omega men. And I think his Omega men is, is solid. I, because I just finished this, I don't want to play the compare game or, or say which one is better. I, this is, I want someone else to read this and, and tell me if it's safe to say that this is a book that Tom will be remembered for. You mean after Omega Man? <laughs> someone other than Vince read this. <laughs> no, I, and again, I think Omega, I mean, as far as what Omega, because Omega Man is another one where, listen, it's 12 issues and again, it's consistent and it looks amazing. And there's one, one vision from, from the writer and artistically. And it just, and it, it, again, it, it also has, they, these two are awesome bookends of from, from two different companies with two different concepts completely. Um, and just show you that, that 
that the same guy we talked about an hour ago, who's writing Batman, wrote these other two stories that are completely different. And it, it, it's, man, I, we, we haven't talked about the Oclaskers too much yet. And I, I, I don't know where Tom's going to fit on, on mine yet, but Tom is definitely on there somewhere. Oh, sure. Same here. Definitely. But yeah, so in your travels, check out the vision when it's, uh, if, if you don't have the time to get the 12 issues, then, then hopefully I haven't checked for some reason. Again, I did not have previews in, in this box because I didn't order it. So, um, I don't know if Marvel, I know I'm an idiot. I don't know if Marvel, um, has it in this month's previews. So you don't know the cover feature on the previews on the the previews or the Marvel previews? Either one, I don't. On, I know. On, on the preview, Commandy. Oh, is it the challenge? Oh, yeah, okay. Bruce Bruce Tim drawn yeah. Commandy. Pinch me. Okay. <laughs> Twelve issues. Uh, it's four ninety nine an issue, but they're oversized. They're 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 forty pages. So, I'm in. I don't care if they were ten dollars an issue. I'd be in. It would be. Yeah. Um, Next week, just, uh, if you can, if you want to read along with us, we're probably going to touch on American Monster from Aftershock. Uh, there's also a new six issue miniseries from DC, Vigilante Southland. We may talk about the first issue. I have it, so I can read yes. it and talk about it with you. Yes. Now I'm well aware the the high stakes at play here because you and the vigilante this I I didn't even realize who wrote it but whoever it is they have to be at their absolute best or you just you're gonna have your way with it. <laughs> oh, so there you go. Next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, thank you for being here with us. Join us next week when the boy hopefully will be back. If we can coax him with candy. He's a sucker, he for, candy. A sucker for candy. Yeah. Um, if you enjoyed any of this episode, please do us a really big solid and leave us an iTunes review or review somewhere else. We don't care where you get it. Just talk about it. And uh, as usual, say goodnight. David. Good night. I'm not going to do the... David. I guess it was acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're those adorbs. And you better get caught up on Flintstones. Flintstones. Because I really wanted to talk that. Well, yeah, and Scooby Apocalypse. Here's some incentive for you on Flintstones. You find out the origin of Yabba Dabba Doo. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, parts of it are actually very touching. I'm, I'm sure they were intended to be that way. But I don't normally associate touchy feely, real heartfelt, emotional, uh, passages with the Flintstones, but they're there. That, there's one thing, the book is an anomaly because it does not, it doesn't walk like the Flintstones. It, it may look 
there's dinosaurs in it and cavemen. That's about the only similarity. Uh, and the characters that you're familiar with are in there, but the thematically, it's it's grown up stuff. I think. Okay. Love it. Get going. Um, we'll see y'all. It was a joy to be here uh, for you, and uh, we'll be back next week. See you, bye. Miss Jason. Yes. I'm Sorry, not, it's just me. No, I knew it. I, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I thought, what is wrong with you? No, no, I just, I, you know, I mean, Dude, when, I know. When, when you lose your leg, you're going to feel yes. it, right? We lost a nut. I'm trying to think of something about a squirrel, but I don't know. Bye. Peace. Yeah.